Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Landline Podcast. I'm your host, Lamar Land, and I'm so excited for today's episode. Uh, before we get started, I just want to thank everybody who watched the pilot episode. Uh, I want to thank you for your feedback. Just let me know that you listened to it. Let me know what you thought of it, giving me uh, suggestions and advice going forward. Uh, and I hope that you are just as excited about this as I am. Now, uh, today's episode is going to be special. Um, I'm very excited about it. Well, uh, actually, I think I could be more excited, um, and you'll know why once we talk about the topic. But uh, before we get into the topic, I just hope that you are enjoying your holiday. I hope that you are with your family or friends nestled up by a fire roasting chestnuts because obviously that's what we all do at Christmas. Um, I hope that you're enjoying this time of rest, whether you're away from work, away from school, uh, traveling, whatever it may be. Um, and I hope that you're celebrating with your family and I hope that you're celebrating and giving and all of that amazing things. But I also hope that you're celebrating the birth of Jesus. I hope that you're celebrating love and his love for us um, and the purpose behind his life um, and what it means to us as Christians each and every day. Um, but I do understand that uh, sometimes it can be kind of hard celebrating uh, when we kind of live in a time like we do now. Uh, 2020 has not been all sunshine and rainbows. Uh and I, I, I get that. Um, I do think that some people on like Twitter have been really exaggerating, saying that 2020 is the worst. Uh, 2020 is for the birds. 2020 is not lit, fam. But I don't think it's really been that bad. Like I think that there are uh, some good things that we can learn from this time. I do think there are some bright things uh, in this dark time. And what better way? to celebrate and spread the Christmas cheer that's in my heart than to spend today's episode talking about some of the biggest disgraces to holiday cinematography. That's right. We are going to be talking about some of the worst Christmas movies ever. Now, uh, I could just sit here and review some Hallmark Christmas movies since they're all terrible and they all share the same regurgitated plots, but I don't want to offend my girlfriend, who is beautiful, um, intelligent, caring, and has the utmost respect for the film industry. Um, and I'm not reading that off of my laptop, if that is what you're thinking. Plus, if I was going to make fun of Christmas movies from Hallmark, it would just be too easy. So I chose a variety of four movies that are uh, more mainstream, um, and they also like have different themes and genres and uh, check different boxes. And so I just thought that uh, that I would dive into those, give a little bit of a twist on some horrible Christmas movies. <clears throat> um, but at the end of the day, they all share the same quality of being some of the most horrendous motion pictures to ever grace my eyes and my television. Now, I want you to know that this will be kind of a spoiler warning. Um, there will be spoilers in this episode. I will ruin some of these movies for you, but I want you to know that I will also accept your thanks uh, because some of these movies are terrible. And so me ruining them is doing you justice by allowing you to not watch these movies. So you are welcome in advance. Now, the first movie we're going to be talking about today is Home Alone 4. Uh, this is the fourth installment into the Home Alone franchise, um, and it's a little bit different than the other ones for a few different reasons. Now, 
we all know Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2, Kevin McAllister uh, and his family um, and the situations that he gets in. Well, there's a third one that not a lot of people have heard of, and I actually watched it in preparation for this movie uh, review, and it wasn't that bad. Honestly, it was it was a decent movie. I will not say it is a great movie, but it was a decent movie. However, when I started to watch Home Alone 4, I realized that this was terrible. Um, one reason that it's really hard for me to connect and enjoy this movie is because they have like all of these same characters from the first two movies, but none of the original actors. And they're just going to like brush that under the rug and act like nothing ever happened. In the first two movies, we see like the first one, Kevin gets left at home while his parents go on a trip. Uh, Home Alone 2, we see his family goes to Florida when he goes to New York by getting on the wrong plane and all of that. Well, then Home Alone 3, it's a completely different kid. Um, his name is Alex and all is, all is good. Um, they didn't try to give him some backstory that was the same. He's just a normal kid, uh, who gets chicken pox and has to stay home from school. Uh, but then we get to the fourth movie and they really tried to pull a fast one on us. His name is Kevin McAllister. Um, he has siblings. However, in the first two movies, Kevin McAllister, the real Kevin McAllister, has four siblings, Buzz, Megan, Lenny, and Jeff. But in this one, Kevin McAllister only has two, um, but they are named Buzz and Megan. So RIP Lenny and Jeff. Um, not really sure what happened to them. Um, and I assume that his parents have the same names and they're the exact same people, but they are completely different actors. Now, the whole plot behind this movie is Kevin's parents are in the process of getting a divorce. They've been separated for like eight months or something, and the dad wants to spend time with them over Christmas, um, and the kids don't really want to because this is very uncomfortable for them because this will be the first Christmas with their parents being separated. Um, but the reason that he wants them to celebrate Christmas with him is because he has found a new woman. Um, her name is Natalie, and he plans to marry her as soon as the divorce is finalized. And so uh, Natalie plays a very interesting part in this movie. But um, we see typical Home Alone shenanigans where Kevin is bullied by his older siblings. Um, there's a scene where uh, Kevin's mom has to take his sister to like a dance recital or something. And she asked Buzz to babysit him. And Buzz, uh, being the rebellious teenager that he is in a movie, doesn't want to babysit his little brother, um, but he has to. Um, and Kevin does not want him to babysit him either. And he even says, I'll stay home alone. I've done it before. To which the mom says, don't remind me. And I assume that this is supposed to connect it to the first two movies and make sure that we know that it's in the same universe, even though every single one of us know that it's not in the same universe. And just throughout this movie, uh, we see these super weird shots, these weird like zoom ins on uh, faces, um, really long pans, uh, just shots that are just too long in length and they're just really awkward. Um, and probably my biggest critique about like the actual filmmaking process is that whoever is in charge of the audio for this movie did a horrible job. 
like just constantly throughout the movie, the background music is too loud. And there are even scenes where like people are trying to talk and you can barely hear them because the music is too loud. And it's just really awkward um, just throughout the entire movie. Well, uh, Natalie, uh, their dad's girlfriend, um, is something very important because she's super rich. Um, and over the holidays, she's planning this big party, um, and she's going to have this royal child. I guess he would be a prince. She is going to have this royal child to attend her party because that's what most adults want is for a child to be the main event, I guess, of the party. I don't... I really don't know. The the guest of honor. Guest of honor. That's right. That's what it is. Um, but this is important because we are introduced to an old friend, or what they want you to think is an old friend, Marv, the bad guy. Um, Marv, in the first two movies, is the tall, afro, nasty, scrappy-looking uh, criminal and this is supposed to be Marv. Like, this is the same Marv um, we see throughout the movie that him and Kevin know each other and they have this weird connection. Um, also, like, I don't know why Kevin knows his name. I don't think that they ever, like, introduced themselves, but I could be wrong, um, like, in the first two movies. But Marv is back, and now he's with his new wife, Vera. And they have decided to give up a life of, of theft, they no longer are in the stealing game. They want to become kidnappers. And the main goal for this movie, their main, uh, I guess their heist, is to kidnap this royal child, this prince. Um, and we see them attempt a few... Well, not really attempt... Okay, we'll get into that later. Um, but we find out early on that they have an inside man. That there's somebody... On the inside, that has given them a key, which, by the way, this house is not like normal houses. This is a smart house. So instead of keys, you know, like normal houses, they have these Amazon Fire Stick remotes that control everything. And they can walk up to a door and say, door open, and the door opens. They could say, door closed, and the door closes. And this this remote controls, like, everything in the house, um, which seems like a very big design flaw for a few reasons. But we won't really get into that. Um, and we see different things happen with these dang remotes later on. But uh, Kevin decides that he is tired of having siblings, that he hates his siblings, and decides to run away. Um, and he doesn't know where he's going to go, but then he realizes that, hey, my dad has a new girlfriend, and they want us to come for Christmas, so I'm going to surprise them. So he grabs a piggy bank, packs a bag, and calls a taxi, and somehow pays for this taxi across town, which they're in Chicago, and I like to imagine that if you just got a, if you're trying to get a divorce from your ex-wife, you're not going to live close by. You're going to try to get as far away as possible. And so across Chicago, like at least to a different neighborhood, cannot be a cheap cab. Well, Kevin just hands this cab driver a piggy bank and that's enough, um, which is just, that's just me personally being um, weird about this movie. Um, Kevin gets here and sees this really cool house and, Natalie, obviously, being the new woman in Kevin's dad's life, uh, wants to impress his children, so she has this room set up for him. And this room is just like 
major overkill. Like he walks into this room and I counted, there's 13 TVs on the wall and there's four VCRs because every child wants to be able to watch four different tapes on 13 TVs. There's also like 82,000 speakers throughout this room. There's arcade machines and there's a gaming chair that has like a keyboard attached to it. And when Kevin sees it, he gets so excited and runs and jumps in it and starts hitting these keys that aren't attached to anything, um, that aren't connected to anything, and they're doing nothing. So he's just hitting these keys to hit these keys. All the while, his mom's freaking out because she doesn't know where her child is. Um, because, you know, parent. But we go throughout the movie. Uh, he eventually calls his mom. Uh, actually, Kevin's dad calls the mom and says, hey, thanks for letting Kevin come. Um, and she's like, oh, yeah, of course. Um, not knowing that that's where Kevin was, she genuinely thought that her child was missing and had not reported to the authorities yet. So way to go, Mom. Um, but uh, we see in the movie that they're planning this party, and when the party comes, uh, Kevin decides to ruin it. Um, but for a decent reason, I guess. Uh, Marv and Vera are undercover waiters and waitresses, and so they are trying to sabotage the party. They're trying to kidnap the prince. However, the prince is not at the party because his plane got snowed in. Now, uh, we're introduced to a character early on when Kevin arrives at the house, and that's Prescott. Prescott is the butler, um, and we can tell early on that Prescott does not like children and that there's going to be a problem uh, with Kevin. Well, early on, when we find out that Marv and Vera have a key to this house and we realize they have an inside man, um, instantly we are led to believe that's Prescott. Prescott hates Kevin. Um, Kevin is asking for help. He's calling for help in the house and Prescott's not answering. Um, Kevin destroys the house. Okay, we'll talk about this scene. They're looking around the house and they hear something in the bathroom, so they go upstairs to the bathroom and... Um, and when Marvin Vera walk in, they see that the tub is running um, and about to overflow, but that doesn't phase them whatsoever. And they hear a little noise in the shower. And this is one of those like showers that has the, the jets on every side and the rainfall. And so you can get uh, you can shower from every angle, I guess. Um, and so they walk up to it. Um, and then Kevin pops out and goes <laughs> with his tongue and then tells the remote the amazon fire stick to turn the shower on and now this shower is like a fire hydrant and shoots them with a jet stream out of the bathroom and as they're getting away the shower being uh releasing about as much water as in the atlantic ocean and the tub that's overflowing that just just released a lot of water as well creates this like tsunami in the house um, and just floods the house and really gets them well. All of that being said, they try to look for security cam footage because Kevin keeps telling them that there were bad guys in the house and that's why he flooded the house, basically. Um, and it's nowhere to be found. And Prescott is in control of the security cameras. He has like a little area in his personal quarters where he has security cameras set up and he can watch them and make sure that the house is safe. And so Early on, we think Prescott's a bad guy. And we go through the movie. He also, we also are introduced to Kevin's ally in the house, which is Miss Molly. Molly is the maid. Um, and she sticks up for Kevin when Prescott 
is mean to him and she loves Kevin and everything's all fine and dandy till Hollywood pulls a switcheroo on us towards the end of the movie and we find out that Molly is actually the inside man or woman in this case. And not only that, but Molly is Marv's mother. What an absolute twist. Um, and he can't tell anybody. He tries to convince people and it doesn't work. Well, anyway, uh, he pulls more shenanigans like he did at the party that he ruined. And anyway, he somehow, it it's really strange. He somehow uh, gets them caught. And at the end of the movie, him and Prescott are bonding because he realized that Prescott was a good guy and that he was just a big misunderstanding. Also, uh, a weird character throughout the movie was Natalie, because Natalie was just, like, hyperventilating a lot when Kevin would mess things up. Um, she even threatened Kevin in a scene. She was like, boo-hoo, your parents are divorced. Join the club, basically, which is very mean to say to a child. And she says, don't ruin this for my for me and your father, um, to which Kevin proceeds to ruin this for her and his father. Um, because at the end of the movie... He falls in love with his ex-wife, and they decide to not get a divorce, we assume. Also, at the end of the movie, uh, I guess this could have been left out. I don't know. Uh, the prince shows up, and the prince sees this heartwarming Christmas miracle and decides that he wants to spend Christmas with the McAllisters instead of at this really cool mansion. And Natalie gets really upset, and that's pretty much the end of the movie. My biggest concern with this movie, obviously, is the fact that they tried to force us into believing that everything was in the same universe as the first two movies and that everything is fine and dandy and it was the complete opposite of fine and dandy the acting in this movie was terrible uh i hate to say bad things about it but i am reviewing the movie um the actor who played kevin is just not good which he is a child and so i'm not gonna hold that against him um but he delivered his lines very weird um, he just like his mannerisms throughout the movie are very strange. Um, the movie writing was really different from the first two movies because some of his shenanigans were like very tame as opposed to the first two movies, much, much less potential death for the crooks as opposed to the first two movies, which was kind of, kind of good for them, I guess, but like doesn't have the same charm that pain does like in the first two movies. And like I said earlier, the whoever created this movie just did a very poor job as in like the filming and the editing and the audio throughout the movie. It was just it just a weird movie. Um and I don't really recommend it, but I don't really recommend any of these. So now we're going to dive into the second movie that we're going to be talking about. And this is a Disney movie. Like, I, I felt like I need to put something Disney on this list to, like, let you know that, like, the top dog can still, like, produce terrible content. And so the movie we're going to be talking about is I'll Be Home for Christmas, which was released in 1998. Um, and this movie stars teen heartthrob Jonathan Taylor Thomas, um, also known as Randy from Home Improvement, starring Tim the Toolman Taylor. Um, and I'm sure uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, JTT, as they call him in the streets, uh, could be considered a good actor in some forms, uh, whether it's like different TV shows or movies. Um, he even was a, a young Simba. He was the voice of young Simba in The Lion King. And so that's pretty cool. Uh, but this movie doesn't hold a candle to that movie. What is that? What does that phrase mean? Hold a candle to? I don't, I don't know. This movie is garbage. 
Uh, but it's also garbage in comparison to The Lion King, which has no purpose in my review. But, like, the movie is just, it's really weird, and I'll, I'll talk about, like, my biggest issues with it at the end of this review. But Jake is the main character. He is this, like, guy who is a sweet talker. He talks his way through every situation in life, and he is excited about Christmas for one reason— um, he's going to the beach with his girlfriend. And when he surprises her with these details, she gets really upset because she wants to go home. Um, she wants to spend time at home for Christmas. And home for both of them is in New York, like a city in New York. Um, and they're both going to school in California. And so uh, early on in the movie, uh, Jake talks to his dad on the phone and um his dad's like, well, are, we're excited to see you for Christmas. And Jake's like, ah, sorry, Dad, I don't think I'll be able to make it. And his dad was like, well, can you explain to me why I talked to my travel advisor and he told me that you canceled the tickets and got the refund and bought tickets to the beach? And he was just like, I don't know. He came up with, like, some lie because that seems to be what Jake does in all situations. And so his dad is desperately trying to convince him to come home. And then he pulls probably the worst parenting move that I've ever heard. Um, he offers him a 1957 Porsche that they have restored if he will come home for Christmas. And like me personally, if I have a terrible child who is across the country, who I bought tickets for him to come home, and then he pulls something like that to not come home and lies to me constantly, and they like kind of like make it known that this is definitely not the first time that he's done something like this that he like absolutely tries his hardest to be a terrible child but i mean i guess i mean he he is the dad um so it's it's whatever but that's just a really weird thing to me but we're introduced to a few characters throughout the movie um one of them being eddie eddie is this jerk uh who is in love with jake's girlfriend um, also, Jake's girlfriend is Jessica Beale, so it's obvious why he's in love with Jessica Beale, aka Allie, because she's Jessica Beale. But constantly throughout the movie, like he's flirting with her and trying to convince her to date him instead of Jake, and he he plays, I guess, an important role later on, but then immediately not. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Well, um, like I said. Jake is a sweet talker. Jake is what I would like to call the connections man. He is the man on campus that has like connections for everything. And so this group of goons uh, has used him for fake IDs and their fake IDs did not work at the club. And so as payment, Jake offers to get them test scores, not test scores, uh, test answers for their upcoming history final. And so uh, they agree he gives them pagers for a small service fee, and when they're getting the test, they throw a copy out, and Jake's little nerd henchman like runs to his dorm and starts looking up answers and pages it to him. Well, Eddie sees what's going on and chases down the nerd and shuts down the whole process. Um, and then we get to, we cut to a party later on and the goons are really upset because more than likely they failed their history final because they didn't get the answers that they were promised by Jake. So they decide to play a little game with him. Um, and the next morning he wakes up in a desert in a Santa Claus outfit with a beard glued to his face and the hat glued to his face. And this is just the start of trouble for Jake. Now, when he was promised this Porsche, he, refund he refunded the tickets to the beach and got tickets to fly back to New York. And so he surprised Allie with those tickets 
and he was supposed to pick her up the next morning. Well, now he's at a desert, not on campus, so he can't pick her up to go to the airport. And after a while of um, not hearing from him and him being late, Eddie offers her a ride home. Obviously, Eddie knows what's going on because he has conducted this whole scheme. And so he offers her a ride home, and she agrees because she doesn't know where Jake is, and she needs to get home for the holidays. Then we begin to see the trials that Jake goes through to try to get home. We see him talk to his dad at a... uh, at like a body shop, like a little little uh, service stop. Um, and this old lady hears him and offers him a ride um, while he's in the car with these old women singing the hit song, What's New Pussycat? Uh, gets like car sick or maybe he's like hungover or something from the night before. I don't know. We never hear. And he just randomly pukes in the purse, like one of the old lady's purses. And this like this old lady that he's sitting in the back seat with just gets the audacity to like chew him out for puking in her sister's purse. So naturally they kick him out of the car. What? And so then he's forced to hitchhike, which is kind of crazy because as he's hitchhiking, he sees Allie and Eddie at this like rest stop farmer's market thing. And as he's trying to cross the highway, which should only take a few seconds um, and takes him about five minutes, Eddie sees what he's doing and like forces Allie to get back in the car and they zoom off and swerve into traffic and head on their way. And so then he's like trying to figure out what to do. He continues to hitchhike. He's walking down the highway at one point and almost gets hit by a van. Um, this dude's like crazy. This dude's potentially like high or just like not in the right mind um, and thinks he's actually Santa Claus. Uh, and they start to go, well, they get pulled over by the cops and then Jake finds out that this dude has like stolen goods in the back of the van. So they switch places and like always, that classic Jake, sweet talking his way out of a ticket, tells them that they're delivering gifts to the local children's hospital and the cop offers to give them an escort and help them. And so they get to the hospital and they go inside and they're given these stolen goods, which happen to be like household appliances to these children who are in a hospital. And he's handing out like toasters and vacuums and stuff. And then you get to this kid and his name is Esteban. And Esteban just wants to go home for Christmas. Um, he wants to spend it with his family um, and starts to name off all of his family members. And it's a very sweet and touching moment, so much that it inspires all three of the men to, like, call people. Uh, Jake calls home to let him know that he's coming home for Christmas, and he made just he, he's had a little bump in the road, but he's on his way home. The dude in the van, the criminal, has called his daughter and said that he's given up a life of crime and he's going to be home for Christmas. And then the cop calls his ex-wife and is like, baby, take me back, um, and it doesn't work. And so the van guy is like, I gotta get home to my daughter. I've, you've, you've made me a better man, Santa Claus, not realizing that this is a college student. And then the cop was like, Hey, will you come with me to Nebraska to talk to my ex-wife about getting back together? Um, Jake realizes that Nebraska is closer to New York than wherever they are. And so he agrees and tells him that if he can get his wife back, that he has to buy him a train ticket, no, a bus ticket to New York, and the dude agrees. And so uh, after a series of events and a, a poorly put-together song in this diner in Nebraska, uh, his ex-wife agrees to come home, and he apologizes, and lovey-dovey, kiss and make up. Um, and so they buy him a ticket, and he's on his way. All while this is happening, we are seeing little scenes of uh, Allie and Eddie in the car headed home um, and the mischief that ensues, things like, Eddie being extremely rude and asking, why are you with your boyfriend? Uh, What does he have that I don't? 
Um, and she like explains why she likes him and that Eddie tries to be more like him and just fails miserably because Eddie's a terrible person. Blah, blah, blah. They pull over at a Christmas village and while Jake is waiting on his bus, he sees a, a new segment of the Christmas village and they kiss under the mistletoe. Allie and Eddie kiss under the mistletoe and that just infuriates him. So uh, when he gets on the bus, he has to, you know, pull his old Jake charm and convince him to go to this Christmas village and and all of that, he finds them, and it's a, a big ordeal. And then he's like, if we leave right now, we can get back home by 6 o'clock. And then Allie's like, why are, why 6 o'clock? Like, what's so specific about that? And then she finds out about the car and realizes that he cares more about this car than her happiness at Christmas. Um, they break up. It's a terrible moment. She takes his place on the bus, and he has to ride home with Eddie, which is weird. Like, him and Eddie start to bond, and Eddie says... Man, that breakup was nuclear, uh, whatever that means. And so uh, Jake and him are talking and bonding and becoming friends. And then he says, you know, it's going to be good. I'm going to enjoy Christmas. I'm going to get the, the Porsche. I'm going to come back to school in the spring and I'm going to win Allie back. And then Eddie's like, whoa, whoa, like I can't I can't help you. Like I can't do these nice things for you. And so he kicks him out. Uh, a lot of a lot of stuff happens. He enters a local Santa Claus 5K. It's like a race, but people are dressed up as Santa Claus. The winner gets a thousand dollars. Um, and while he's running, Eddie is trying to leave the city and like bat, bad mouths some cops to their face. And so they arrest him. And that's the last we see of Eddie. It, it, it can be assumed that he went to jail in this random state. Um, and so we don't know what happened to Eddie, R.I.P. Eddie. Jake wins a race, gets the money, finds out immediately that the man that he barely beat in the race is the mayor who donates the money to charity. So then he donates his money to charity and then his sister like buys him a plane ticket or something. Um, he can't get on the plane because of his ID. He doesn't have it. Um, so he sneaks onto the plane in like a dog kennel, which is impossible and super unrealistic, but movie magic. He gets home. He finds a parade. He steals a sleigh with a horse attached because, you know, that classic Jake charm. He immediately goes to Allie's house and apologizes and lets her know that, baby, you're all that I want for Christmas. You're more important than a Porsche, um, and I love you so much. Boom, they kiss and make up. Jake is such a great human being, apparently. Then they go home, and as they're sitting in the parking lot, she says, well, you better go so you can get the car. Um, they're sitting in his driveway, um, and he says, hey, remind me when it's after 6 o'clock. And then she's it's a sweet moment because he cares about her. Um, and then he goes inside and sees his, his family, um, and they celebrate and all of that. And his dad offers him the car and he says, no, dad, I think we've still got some more fixing to do on it. And it may take a few more Christmases, implying that he will be home every Christmas to spend time with his family. Um, and then boom, happiness movie over. Now, uh, here's a few things that I have with the movie. Now, I understand why why he's like so rebellious against his his like family. So his mom died like 10 months prior to Christmas. And so our our maybe not 10 months prior to Christmas, but his mom has died earlier in the year and his dad met his stepmom and they dated and got married 10 months after his mom died. And so this is the first Christmas without mom. And so this is the first Christmas with the stepmom. And so I can, I can understand that like that's hard for him and he's upset with his dad for moving on super fast. But like what I don't understand is like 
the fact that he had to lie to his dad and like was planning to do something else for Christmas. Also, it's just hard for me to grasp the concept of not going home for Christmas, like being a college student and spending your Christmas at the beach with your girlfriend instead of being at home with your two families. That's just a weird thing for me to grasp. But probably my biggest issue with this movie is the fact that there's like no turning point. Like there's no climax in the movie. I guess you could argue and say that like the turning point is Allie breaking up with Jake, but I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. Like I don't think that that was the turning point because they they broke up and like he was cool with it like he got in the car with eddie and was just like yeah i mean i'll win her back in the spring like there was no point he just decided randomly throughout the movie like hey i'm gonna do good things and help people um and be a good person but like the whole time he wasn't like okay with being a good person like he didn't want to give the money back to the charity when he won the race he didn't want to help the guy uh get his wife back like this was all like a bump in the road for him to get a porsche and so it was just a super weird movie like i just don't know when jake instantly became this heart of gold individual um but yeah that's pretty much the movie don't watch it now we're gonna dive into probably one of my favorite movies on this list Um, just because it's so strange, and that is the smash hit Santa with Muscles. And I believe that that was released in like 96. I could be wrong. But Santa with Muscles is starring the absolute icon, Hulk Hogan. And just like any other obese white guy in Mississippi, I love wrestling. Um, And so I thought that this was really funny that this was a Christmas movie that starred Hulk Hogan. And it just, it just got weird really fast. Um, it's made by a company called Hit Entertainment Incorporated. Um, and so I'm sure that they thought this movie was going to be a hit and boy, were they wrong. So we're told about this city and this city is like basic. It's, they never really explain it. It's just this powerful man in the city and his name is Mr. Frost. And he's a rich man, and he's an extreme bully. Um, and we find out about it because the narrator is this child who is writing a letter to Santa. And then, boom, we open up with this this scene where Hulk Hogan is in full army camo, and he, like, sneaks up on this gardener and, like, beats him up um, and delivers this uh, amazing line, never stop to smell the roses. Then he's, like, he, like, grabs a box or something off a table, and then this chef who is screaming runs up and tries to attack him, and then he beats him up. Um, and then another man who's in this uniform, like, this same, like, uniform runs up and roundhouse kicks him in the face, but then Hulk Hogan just beats him up and then, like, throws him into a non-existing pool. Like, he throws him over this ledge, and you hear a splash. Then an old, like, a like a older gentleman who's, like, a limo driver, I guess, like, appears with like a tire iron and like hits him across the head uh, or tries to. And then Hulk Hogan takes it and hits him with it. Well, then the dude who got like thrown in the pool, like comes back screaming and he's like not wet, like at all. Like, I don't know what the point of the splash sound effect was, but it was just really weird. Then the first dude that he beat up, the gardener comes back with a weed eater. And I don't know, this is just a really weird fight scene. And then this, like this man comes out in a suit and they just like all surround him and like Hulk Hogan just looks at him and says, what's my time? And they say four minutes and 23 seconds. And he said, and then you just find out like this was like some kind of like simulation and that Hulk Hogan is like some rich man um, who has like his face on like whey protein and stuff. And so it's just like 
it's such a weird way to start the movie. Not at all what I was expecting, but he uh, goes on through the movie and he's going to play paintball because that's what every like middle-aged man does apparently is go play paintball in full camo. Uh, but as he's walking out, like uh, they get a letter from the orphanage and the the butler or whatever says like hey we got we got these letters um people are asking for money he's like never give money to the needy because then they'll just ask for more and he says send them those carbohydrate bars that aren't selling and then that's such a weird thing because i was thinking about what a carbohydrate bar is like bread like is it just bread is it like a like a rice bar? Like what what is this thing? I've never heard of a carbohydrate bar. Um, but then he proceeds to like hop in a Hummer, uh, and some guys are on a dirt bike, and the guys driving a Jeep, and like he they they're going to play paintball. It's it's a really weird scene. Um, one of the dirt bike guys like jumps a police car that's on like this random dirt road that they take, and then the police start chasing this, and they see them all in this camo, and so this cop thinks that they're terrorists. So uh, he's calling backup, and the backup shows up. And so Hulk Hogan is like, okay, here's what I should do. Instead of pulling over and explaining to them that I'm not a terrorist and that I'm just playing paintball with the boys, maybe I should, you know, shoot them with a paintball gun. So he shoots one of the cops with a paintball gun, and he, like, spins around like he hit a banana in Mario Kart. Um, And they proceed to, like, chase him. Then he, like, looks at the dude that's riding the Hummer with him and says, oh, uh, he says something weird. He's like, never surrender. Uh, and like jumps out of the car. I don't, it, it was really weird. He jumps out of the Hummer and just gets up casually and runs to this mall, like to the shopping mall where we see like screaming kids who are looking for Santa and there's no Santa to be found. Um, and he sneaks into like the back room of like the back, like, area of the mall and finds a Santa Claus suit and he puts it on. Well, then the cops come in there because they probably saw him go in there. And like these cops walk up to him. They're like, oh, hey, Santa Claus, have you seen a man about this tall? Uh, Have you seen a man that's the exact same height as you and looks identical to you, but in camouflage? And he's like, no, I haven't seen him. Ho, ho, ho. I'm Santa Claus. and Merry Christmas. And they're like, okay, Merry Christmas, Santa. Thanks. Um, and as he's walking away, they see the camouflage poking out and they realize, whoa, wait, Santa Claus, who looks just like the man we're chasing, may be the man we're chasing. Um, so they chase him down a hallway and when they turn, he's gone. And one dude's like, he's in the air conditioning vents. And the other dude says, maybe he's under the floors because that's logical. Um, and then you pan over just a little bit and you see two hands hanging from a garbage chute because Hulk Hogan jumped in the garbage chute and is just hanging there. Now, keep in mind, he is right next to them. It's very easy to his hands are huge. Like you can see his hands are gripping this and that he's obviously hanging right there. Um, but they never see him. And then some dude drops trash and Hulk Hogan falls through and smacks his head bonk on the ground. And now he has amnesia. And this elf who owes money to Mr. Frost, remember the bad guy from the beginning of the movie, um, steals his wallet and realizes that he is Blake Thorne, who is some celebrity who is rich and has like a bodybuilding supplement line. I'm not really, we never find out why he's rich. Um, So yeah, uh, that's that. Well, as he's walking away with Blake's wallet, 
he wakes up and Blake has no idea where he's at because he has amnesia. Um, and he tells them that he's Santa Claus and that they've got to go. Well, anyway, he goes and he's he's a mall Santa Claus for a little bit, uh, helping kids what they want, asking them what they want, taking pictures with them. Well, then like these two goons who don't really pl- this is the only part that they play in this movie. Um, are walking around and they see this woman who's taking donations for the local orphanage. Well, she falls asleep because that's funny, old people falling asleep and not doing their job. Um, and so they go and steal the donation money. Now, instead of grabbing the money out of like this huge glass ball, like just grabbing the money and taking it, they cover their shirt over it and they walk around like they're pregnant. Um, and then one of them drops it and then this kid, who I found out later, the kid is like a young Brenda song um, from like Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, and so that was really funny when I found that out. But she's like, tell, like accusing them of stealing, and they're like, "No, we're not. We're taking it to the orphanage." Blah blah blah. And then she screams for Santa Claus to come, and then Hulk Hogan, being Santa Claus, hops up and beats these two guys up, and then they take pictures and put on the news and stuff. Well. He, Lenny is like, whoa, that was awesome, Santa Claus. And then he, uh, Blake pans over and sees the donation thing for the orphanage. And he says, we've got to go. And so they go to this orphanage. And as they show up to the orphanage, uh, Dr. Frost's henchmen, um, show up and they're trying to steal like this statue that's in front of this orphanage. Um, and the reason that they are is they're trying to make they're trying to make their lives horrible because they want to buy the orphanage. They want to close it down for some reason, but we don't know the reason yet. Um, they talk to the lady who runs the orphanage, and she like sends them away. Well, they sh- chain up the statue to their van, and they're driving off. Well, then this old man who like helps out, I think he's like the custodian or something like. He he helps run the orphanage, chases after him, and gets in front of him. Well, the van is, like, about to s- smooth run over this dude, like, about to obliterate him. And then when it gets about a foot from him, it just stops, and the, the wheels are just spinning. And then it zooms out, and Blake Thorne, a.k.a. Santa Claus, is holding the chain and keeping the van from moving because um, superhuman strength Santa Claus has. Um, it's a very awkward scene. They back up and say, and see you later, Santa Claus, and then drive away. And so then he goes in the orphanage, and their kids are freaking out because Santa Claus is here. Um, and it's also only three orphans, this whole orphanage, and it's only three. Um, and they, they offer him a place to stay for some reason. I thought that was kind of strange, but they offer him dinner and a place to stay. And so they do. And while they're staying there, they're cleaning and fixing up his Santa Claus suit. And he gets up the next morning and doesn't have the beard on. And then the little girl is like, you're not Santa Claus. And he has to come with some lie. He says, my beard tickles Miss Claus's face. So I just wear it for deliveries, and she buys it because she's a child. And then they make his suit into, like, this sleeveless spandex, very wrestler-esque because, you know, Hulk Hogan. And he decides that he has to protect this orphanage. He has to help them. Also, one of the children is Mila Kunis. And so that was very interesting. Um, It's really cool to see how she was in this horrible movie and then went on to have a successful career as an actress. So kudos to her. But 
one of it's it's two girls and a guy and those are the only orphans at this uh orphanage and the guy is like really upset about something and then leaves and they don't know where he went and so they follow him to dr frost mr frost's like mansion and he's gonna like take his slingshot and shoot a rock through the window and anyway they convince him to not do it and they're like he's a terrible person he's like yeah but that's not the right thing to do and they they go back and so anyway like I can really sum this movie up uh, relatively shortly. It's just constant shenanigans from this this group of like henchmen that he has that Mr. Frost has. It's like his main physician and these three scientists and these three scientists have like their specialties. There's one who's into like fossils and geology and he's really weird. Um, there's this woman and she's like into electricity and can like shock things and people. And then there's this like creepy little man who has like lots of chemicals and gases that he sprays. And so they're just constantly trying to ruin the lives of the people at the orphanage because they want to buy this orphanage. And they come back and they come back to the house uh, and Blake is just like, what could they want? I, I saw their screen at the house and there's something under the orphanage. What's under it? And they're like, the basement? And they're like, is there anything else? And this woman who runs it just says, well, maybe they're talking about the catacombs. And the kids are like, oh, the clubhouse. Because this woman lets these children play in the catacombs under the orphanage. Um, and the kids just casually explain there's a vault down there and they've only figured out three of the numbers on it. So they go down and they're like doing the numbers in the vault and they get the three and they're like, you don't know the other numbers? And they say no. And then Blake Thorne walks up and magically knows the rest of the numbers and unlocks his vault. That, to, to my knowledge, was not explained throughout the movie. I'm not really sure how he knew these numbers. I could have easily missed something, but... As far as I know, he just magically knew these numbers. Now, uh, all throughout this movie, Lenny, who is the elf that's following him and helping him, who like stole his wallet at the beginning of the movie, um, owes money to Mr. Frost for some reason. That, that goes unexplained. And so they open up this vault and they're expecting like money or something. Well, it's a cave that has these glowing crystals that glow with vibrations um, and they're explosive if like there's too much vibration or like if you drop it like they'll explode and so they leave and like they they call Lenny and Lenny's like explains like what they found and all this stuff well anyway uh, it, it kind of like court towards the end we find out that Mr. Frost is like buying all these buildings he's buying all these buildings on the block for whatever is in these caves, like whatever is under them. And so they come back and like, they just break into the house. Like they hold these kids and the people running it hostage and they break into this house and they are like threatening them and they're going to take what's under the thing. They're going to break the, they're going to tear down the orphanage and they're going to take the crystals and stuff, which are apparently worth lots of money. Um, now I, I failed to mention previously that Blake Thorne is not with them and Lenny is not with them because Lenny had to come clean because Blake started to remember who he was and realize all of these things, um, that he was Blake Thorne, not Santa Claus. And like, he tries to call back 
to the orphanage to like check on and make sure that they're okay because he knows that Mr. Frost is after them. Um, but they've rewired the phones uh, to not, they don't get the phone call. So he thinks that they're just annoying, like ignoring him. So anyway, he shows up because he finds out that like stuff is not going well. Um, and he goes and like, uh, Mr. Frost tells him that he's going to make them mine all this stuff. And like, I just want you to keep in mind what he's doing is like super illegal. Like he is breaking and entering. He's done that multiple times already throughout the movie. He has like, endangered these people and like assaulted them like he is like locked them up he has hurt them he is like put this like potentially poisonous gas in their orphanage like he's trying to ruin their lives and he's doing all these things that are illegal and people just like don't know and like don't care and the authorities are not being called for any of this i guess just because he's rich and powerful and so it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense but here it is and so then Blake comes and saves the day, but in the, the main fight scene, uh, the crystals start to shake and they find out that everything is going to explode because of all the built up energy or something. And so they leave and the orphanage explodes. Um, and the kids no longer have a place to stay, but at least all the criminals got arrested and they don't know what to do. And then Blake Thorne says, I have an idea. And then they move the orphanage and all these kids to Mr. Frost's mansion, and that's where they live. And also, the number of kids in this orphanage have, like, tripled, at least. Um, they're just kids running around, having a good time, and they're celebrating, and it's a sweet end to the movie. Now let's get to the weird part. Obviously, this whole movie is a weird part, but the biggest issue, I, I, I guess that's my thing for these reviews, is, like, my biggest issue uh, but my biggest issue with this movie is the fact that there is this huge twist at the end of the movie that could have been completely left out and would not change the outcome of the movie even in the slightest bit. So once Blake gains his memory back, he talks to the people who run the orphanage and he comes in and says, hey, I got to apologize. I'm not Santa Claus. Like He's talking to the people running it and he says, I'm not Santa Claus. I'm Blake Thorne. Um, which they probably realize that by now because he's like famous and stuff. But the dude who helps run the orphanage is like, you just lied to her again. And he said, what do you mean? He's like, you really don't remember, huh? And then proceeds to say that, like, show him a picture when he was a kid. He was a kid that lived at this same orphanage. And so was Mr. Frost. They were best friends. And so all of this is coming back to him now. And then in the fight scene, he's telling him, he's like, look, we used to be best friends. His name's like Ebner Frost. And he's like, Ebby. And he hasn't heard that name in years. And then it all comes back to him that they are each other's like former best friend. Um, and they continue to fight. And he's questioning why he's so mean and hateful. And he's mean and hateful because Blake was adopted by rich parents. And while he was off uh, living the life, uh, Mr. Frost had to rot away, as he said, at the orphanage. Um, and so, honestly, all of that could have been left out of the movie and it wouldn't have changed the outcome at all because he it's not like he became a better person. He was still evil. He still tried to kill him. He still tried to take the crystals from the orphanage. He still tried to, like, 
tear down the orphanage. He still got arrested. Like, he's still a bad person. So there was no, like, changing point. There was no, like, heartwarming moment for the bad guy. Like, they are still terrible people. This this mega twist at the end of the movie literally could have been left out. It meant nothing. Now we're going to look at our final movie uh, for this episode, this holiday special. Um, and speaking of holiday special... We have the Star Wars Holiday Special from 1978. A little backstory about this. <clears throat> Star Wars, like the first Star Wars movie, had just come out, um, and people fell in love with it. Uh, George Lucas did not plan on making a bunch of movies. He was just going to make the one, and there was such a big response that he was like, okay, let's make more movies, but he had to come up with like this big like storyline for it and obviously writing takes a long time and then you got to cast and then film the movie and so in like this couple year span between movies they wanted to put out some kind of content that was star wars for the people who loved it and so this was what they came up with was a holiday special that they aired on television um and this from what i've gathered has been looked at as one of the worst pieces of like film ever produced especially by like a major production company that like is super well known and like w had intentions of being like good um and it was just it was really bad <clears throat> and so the whole backstory behind this movie is that Chewbacca and his family are celebrating life day we never really learn what Life Day is. We don't really learn a whole lot about Life Day. We just know that this is a special day and Chewbacca has to get home for Life Day. And we open up with Han Solo and Chewbacca uh, being chased down and they're trying to get him back for Life Day. Just something that's like really funny. Um, we get like an introduction to like characters um, and like who plays them and stuff. And so they introduce like Harrison Ford and... Mark Hamill and all that, like all these characters that we know playing their characters. But then we get to R2-D2 and it says R2-D2 playing R2-D2. And I just thought that was really funny and just random. Um, but we get introduced to his family. And so we are introduced to his wife, whose name is Mala. Uh, we are introduced to his father, Itchy, and Chewbacca's son, Lumpy. And they are like, I guess they're the main characters of this movie because we see most of their life. Um, like pan before our eyes. They're preparing the house. Um, also, they live in this like really cool like treehouse on their planet. And like the treehouse, they couldn't even like like animate or like come up with a set or anything for it. It's literally just like a still picture that they used for it. And so it was like as a transition for them being at the home, they just posted the picture of the house no movement nothing that was just the, that was where they were supposed to live and so this house is like pretty cool but mala is preparing for earth day not not earth day silly me preparing for life day and getting the family ready well we see a scene where there's this dude who like has basically like a pawn shop or just like a little store where people can come and get goods whatever they need um and an imperial guard comes in and obviously you can tell that he's like up to something and trying to figure something out and he like he steals this like space razor. He calls it a groomer, um, but it's supposed to like trim hair and mustaches and such. Well, anyway, the dude who owns the shop ends up coming to their house later on, and he plays an interesting role because he brought gifts. Obviously, like he's some kind of family friend, and he brings gifts for them in celebration of Life Day. Um, and the gifts are pretty weird, um, and we'll, we'll kind of look at those gifts. Uh, he brings Lumpy this like little TV thing 
that he has to like set up. It kind of looks like um, like a mixer, like a that you hook up to speakers and stuff. It looks like that, but with like a little television screen, like a little tiny screen about the size of like an iPhone at the top. And I think it's supposed to be like a little portable TV thing um, because there's a scene smack dab in the middle of this like televised holiday special where we watch a cartoon version of like Star Wars. It's a scene that has like all the classic characters in it and it's a cartoon. And I guess like Lumpy is watching this like he is watching his dad in cartoon form apparently on this little toy. This dude also brings, like, this tape thing that goes into this mind evaporator is what they called it. Uh, and he brought that for Itchy. Um, I guess it's supposed to be, like, like a recording for this thing. It's I guess it's supposed to be, like, essentially what we call VR. But it looks like that thing at the salons that dries the lady's hair. Um, and so Itchy sits down and they pop this thing on his head. Well, then this like this lady pops up and she has this wig that looks like it's made of tinsel, like Christmas tinsel. And she's basically like saying that she is what he what he like looks at as pleasure. And so this is a very awkward moment. Uh, very, very creepy. Uh, makes me feel extremely uncomfortable. And so they they go through it, and she, like, sings and dances, and that's pretty strange. Um, and this whole time, there's, like, these little, like, holograms dancing behind her. It's a super weird scene, and, like, Ichi is, like, really into it, and I'm not. And so this just, like, really is a creepy moment and turns me off from the movie. But throughout the, throughout the little holiday special, they're trying to figure out where... Chewbacca is because they haven't heard from him and so they have this little like hidden screen in their like cabinet thing and so they get calls from multiple people like multiple characters that we know and love like Luke and R2-D2 and um, Princess Leia and so they're all trying to figure out where Chewbacca is and wish him happy life day and stuff like that but Chewbacca's not there yet and they don't know where he is either and they're like FaceTiming basically like they can see them and uh, they can see Chewbacca's family and so it's just really awkward because, like, they're using, like, tapes. And so, I mean, obviously this is in 78, but they're putting these tapes in TVs and all kinds of stuff, but yet they still have the technology for FaceTime, and I thought that was really funny. There's also a scene where uh, these stormtroopers and Imperial Guards come in the house, and they're looking for rebels and because they know that this is where Chewbacca lives, but Chewbacca's not there, and... Um, anyway, the dude who brought them the gifts, who like owns the shop, tries to sell them this leather identification holder, basically a wallet. He's trying to sell them a wallet, which implies that these space people don't have wallets, but they have FaceTime. So what sense does that really make? Like, let's just be honest here. We get a few scenes of like Chewie trying to get home and just everything that's going on. And it's just really weird. Uh, there's also some scenes that we get where they're looking at a bar. Um, and in this bar is the bartender who is played by B. Arthur, who is Dorothy from Golden Girls. And so I thought that was really funny. Um, she also breaks into song for some reason. Um, and that was, that was pretty weird. And like people at this bar don't respect her. Like she tries to kick them out because Imperial Guards are like shutting down everything because of like rebels like coming in, like basically Chewbacca and Han Solo. They're trying to catch them. So they shut down everything. 
And it's just like these super weird scenes. And like she tries to kick him out, but like she can't. And then uh, it, it's super weird. This dude comes in and he has a hole in the top of his head. And he pours a drink through the hole in the top of his head because he's in love with her. And it's just, it's super strange. Uh, but shout out to Golden Girls because that's a great television show. But the dude who has like the hole in his head, uh, he's played by Harvey Corman. Harvey Corman plays three separate roles in this movie. He plays the dude with the hole in his head at the bar. Uh, it's actually, it's not a bar. It's, I'm such an idiot. It's the cantina from like the movies, like the original movies. They're at the cantina. B. Arthur is the bartender at the cantina. Anyway, back to what I was talking about. Harvey Corman plays three characters in this movie. He plays the dude from the bar. I think his name's like Krellman or something. Um, he also plays like this robot instructor for, uh, lumpy's little toy he has to watch a little instructional video on how to like put it together and he's like this glitchy robot that is giving him a tutorial on how to put this thing together but also mala is making a movie not a movie she's making a meal and has to watch like this cooking show and he's also the chef that she's watching on the cooking show but he's a woman he is dressed up as this space woman giving directions on how to cook this special dish and so that was super weird to find out that he played three different characters one of them being i guess like a space paula dean and so like this is just a it's such a such a crazy crazy movie like i don't really it's so hard to explain because it, it doesn't make any sense. It's just jumping all over the place. There's no like organization to it. But we we end up with Chewbacca getting home. He's reunited with his family. Um, when Han Solo and them get there, there's one guard that there. There's one stormtrooper that's there, and he's trying to catch them. And then Han Solo does this super weird juke move, and then the stormtrooper slams through the railing of upstairs and falls to his death in the middle of their house. And people just act like nothing happened. And I think they dump the body. It was just, it's goes like unanswered. It's just very strange, but he's reunited with their family. Han Solo leaves. And then they're about to celebrate life day. How do they celebrate life day? You may ask. They grab these glowing orbs and stand in a circle. Then, boom, they're transported into space where they have these red robes on. I, this is a hundred. I'm not making this up. This is a hundred percent serious. They have these orbs, these glowing orbs, and they're in completely red robes. And they're walking through this like portal, this like wormhole or something in space. Yeah, they're just walking. They're not floating. They're just walking through this portal in space. And boom, they're at this huge tree. I mean, I guess you could say it's like the tree of life. I don't know. But it's this huge tree, and they walk through it, and, or they walk to the tree, and they're all gathered around. It's apparently just a Wookiee holiday because it's just Wookiees here. It's no, like, humans. It's no other space creatures. Just a bunch of Wookiees. And as they're celebrating Earth Day, however, I mean, not Earth Day. Why do I keep saying Earth Day? Uh, as they're celebrating Life Day, all of a sudden, Leia, Han Solo, uh, R2-D2, Luke, C-3PO, they just show up out of nowhere from behind the tree. Boom, spooky surprise for Life Day. And they're just like talking and it, it doesn't, they don't explain why they're there. They're just glad to be there, I guess. Then Leia starts singing. And while she's singing, we get these random flashbacks from the first Star Wars movie. And then it cuts and they're back at home for dinner. And the orbs are all in like a bowl at the center of the table. 
And so, like, I just, I don't get it. I don't understand. Um, my biggest issue, here, here we are again with my issues, my biggest issue with this movie is, like, it doesn't make any sense. It was just thrown together. Like, they probably, there's no telling how long it took them to film it because they sure didn't do a good job. But, like, it's just thrown together. It's unorganized. The plot is strange. It doesn't make any sense. The characters are super weird. There's a lot of questions that are unanswered. And, like, this was a TV special and so they like filmed it on different cameras than they do normal movies. And so like, I, it was just, I, I don't know. Like it was just so strange, but yeah, like, I mean, these are four of the worst Christmas movies I've ever watched. Um, and I really hope like you don't watch them. I do not recommend them. Um, I don't think that you should watch them. And, uh, if you ever get the opportunity to don't. Um, please take that time to do something more productive with your life. Once again, uh, I want to dive into some recommendations that I have, uh, or a recommendation that I have for this episode. I know it's a little bit longer, but we will say that episode one is a holiday special for the Landline Podcast. So the recommendation that I have for you today is the Young and Biblical Podcast, and it's hosted by my friends Cruz and Reed. Um, it's a really good podcast where they dive into different passages of Scripture and really discuss what it means to them and like just what it means in general. And they share like life experiences as well as like the impact that God has had on their life and like what His Word means to them. And so it's a really good podcast hosted by some really good people. And so I want to thank you again for listening. Um, thank you for joining me today for the holiday special. I know it is longer than what I promised the episodes would be. Um, I know it's longer than uh, you probably want to listen to, but I do appreciate you. Uh, I hope that you have a Merry Christmas. Um, if you want to reach out to me, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at LandlinePod. And I just uh, just hope that you really enjoy this time with your family. Remember the reason for the season, and God bless. Peace. <laughs>